Let's take this outside with Marianne Iveson, the podcast where she speaks to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about why they connect with nature. Ruby West is a lifelong competitive cyclist and nature lover. Ruby has represented Canada at five consecutive world championships for cyclocross, as well as banking many impressive results around North America and Europe. In 2021, Ruby committed to pursuing the track after being recruited by the Canadian Next Gen program and has her sights on the Paris 2024 Olympic Games. Off the bike, Ruby keeps busy at her family farm looking after chickens, goats, and a new donkey. Ruby has a great love and appreciation for anything outdoors and aims to do her part in minimizing her footprint through sustainable swaps in her daily life. Please welcome Ruby West. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Us coordinating this was interesting because you are on the other side of the world right now. You're in Spain. What are you doing in Spain and what are you training for? Yeah, I am very far away from home right now, which is quite nice because I also escaped the winter, which was much needed. I am in Spain for about a month in Girona, Spain. I've been here for a week and a bit now. And yeah, I'm just training for the upcoming season. I competed a few weeks ago at the World Championships for Cyclocross and needed some downtime after that. So spent some time at home. But when I wanted to start training again, it it was a little unmotivating to be at home in the snow right now. And my boyfriend recently moved over to Spain here to race professionally on the road. So it gave me a perfect excuse to come visit. And so, yeah, I'll be here for a few more weeks still and just training for the season ahead. So your boyfriend is a road cyclist. You said he rides pro? Yes, he does. Yeah, he's on the Israel Premier Tech Continental team over here. And he's currently at the Grand Camino stage race with the World Tour team. So yeah, he's doing the road thing. <laughs> hey, let me guess you met through cycling. Can I ask, like, what's that like to date a cyclist, a fellow cyclist? We've known each other forever, actually, just through the provincial team when we were really young doing like the Team Ontario projects together. So we've known each other forever and it's been cool. We had a really good friendship throughout all of our junior years growing up in the sport. So it was cool to be able to travel together and have all these shared experiences as we were learning about the sport and growing as individuals and then kind of reconnected a little bit later on when we were a little older and more mature and ready for a relationship. So yeah, it's really cool because he gets it and I get what he's doing and it's cool to be able to support each other's dreams and know what we're doing and really be able to yeah, fully support each other. And we can train together. And for me, at least, it's great training to ride with him because he's so strong. So yeah, it's honestly, it's amazing. It's difficult sometimes because I mean, he moved over here and the dream is far away from home sometimes, but we make it work and it's definitely worth it. Well, I also don't want to want you to downplay your strength at all either because cyclocross is quite the sport. Can you explain what cyclocross is? Yes, absolutely. So it is pretty much a off-road kind of racing. You race on a modified road bike. So it's pretty much a course that your bike shouldn't be able to handle and you shouldn't ride this kind of a bike on. And you just do laps of a course and you race for just under an hour. Anything from grass to gravel to sand to mud to ice to snow to pavement, all different terrains, all different sorts of obstacles on the course. So barriers or stairs, corners, descents, all these sorts of things. You get off and you carry your bike sometimes. So it's really fun. And that's why I fell in love with it because it's just always different and uh, it keeps you really on your toes. So 
yeah, I think I have a bit of a short attention span. So uh, cyclocross was a good home for me because yeah, you can really never get bored of it. So that's where I found my home in cycling for a while. Looking at like the spectrum of cycling. So you have, of course, you have road and that's where you started, right? Was road? Yeah, correct. I did. When it comes to cyclocross, like there's a spectrum of cycling. So there's, of course, road cycling, which you started out with, gravel, cyclocross, mountain biking, fat biking. Do you have a love for each individually? Absolutely. Yeah. I did start with road and then I've pretty much done every discipline under the sun other than BMX right now. That's the only thing I haven't, well, in downhill that I haven't raced. I've done a little downhill, but we won't go there. (laughs) So I would say I have a big love for all of the cycling disciplines. And I think as someone who just loves variety and challenging myself in different ways and seeing different parts of the world or the country or the area I live in, cycling in different disciplines has really given me an outlet to explore that. You're right. Like there's no other discipline. I don't think that you can go for five hours and cover so much distance and see so many different varying terrains, different ecosystems almost you can cover in that long. The other day here, I did a ride with my friend and we went to the coast, Costa Brava. And it's just like one of those breathtaking things that makes you feel almost insignificant because you're surrounded by these huge mountains and the ocean. And it's just like such a magical feeling. And so I love that from the road. I love the trails of mountain biking and cyclocross and fat biking in the winter. I used to do a lot of when I was at school in Quebec. So yeah, I think every different discipline of cycling brings a different aspect that I love and different values based on what I need at that time. So I am lucky that I'm able to vary my training in a way that I can incorporate all those different disciplines. And if I'm in a bit of a rut with intervals or whatever it is, I can hop on my mountain bike and just get some fresh air and kind of rejuvenate that love for the sport because it can be monotonous. And especially now that I'm doing more track, I think it's going to be important for myself to have that variety to keep my head sane, I think. And it's a nice outlet to just like go out the door into the trails and like forget about everything else. So yeah, I'm, I'm really lucky that I have the access to be able to do all the different disciplines and yeah, to get different things from each one. Unfortunately, cyclocross is not an Olympic sport yet, but track cycling is and, and you're, you're gunning for the Olympics right in 2024. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. Sadly, cyclocross isn't. It falls in this awkward in-between of it's participated in during the winter, but it's not a sport that is performed on snow or ice. So it doesn't really fit into either the summer or the winter Olympics. And so there's challenges with getting it into the games that that's a whole other story. But unfortunately for now, it is not in the Olympics. Maybe someday there's always conversations going on and speculation about that. But for now, I mean, I've grown up my whole life idolizing the Olympics. My dad is actually an Olympian. And so I grew up seeing how cool that was and living the reality that it's possible to go there and to to compete at that level. So I've always had that in the back of my head. And when cyclocross kind of was my main focus for a few years, it was still kind of an itch, I would say, in the back of my brain that I hadn't quite given up on that Olympic dream. I just hadn't quite figured out how I was going to get there. And I think that's also kind of one of the reasons I've tried all the different disciplines to figure out what my best avenue would be or what I could be most successful at. And so, yeah, the track made the most sense for me. And yeah, that's the goal is Paris 2024, which is surprisingly and scarily coming up very quickly now. 
Well, just because the Olympics have been so screwed up the last couple of years, right? So you're like, oh, I guess we're, I guess we're almost there already. Yeah, it's crazy. We're already like talking about qualifying this year, like Olympic qualifying the points. It's a whole convoluted system, but yeah, it's already, you've hardly switched off from the last one and you already have to plan for the next one. So yeah, it's crazy what just one year or two can do. Definitely no time to waste. So I am full speed ahead for that. No pun intended, because track cycling is just when you, it's like in the dome, right? When you go in this, in a circle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the velodrome. It is like a toilet bowl almost that someone had the bright idea to put bikes with no brakes and no gears all on there at one time on banks that are too steep to stand on. Like it's crazy concept and whoever created it should probably be checked in somewhere, but it's fun, I guess. It's crazy. It uh, keeps me busy. So yeah, it's a different kind of enjoyment than the other disciplines, but I still enjoy it nonetheless. It must be an adrenaline rush because how fast can you go on track cycling? How fast are you going? It's crazy. I actually don't know specifics. I know that probably 50 to 60 kilometers an hour throughout a race And then the max speeds that like some of the sprinters are hitting are probably closer to 75, maybe even faster. I'm not actually sure. But yeah, it's kind of crazy when you think about that and the fact that the bikes don't have brakes. So yeah, if something goes wrong and you're going that fast, you just crash. And that's terrifying. So yeah, I try and not think about that a lot. But yeah, it's an adrenaline rush. That's a good way to put it. Terrifying is another good way to put it. But it's a whole wide range of different things. Going to more things that are more calming for the nervous system. And one of my favorite parts of your bio and learning more about you and following you on Instagram is that your family has a farm and I can totally relate. I didn't grow up with like, there weren't chickens on my farm, like my aunt had chickens. So I I understand it and that kind of lifestyle. And it really plays into my love of the outdoors as an adult. So what are like some of your earliest memories of connecting on the farm with like nature and animals and plants? So actually, the farm we currently live on, my parents bought, I want to say, three years ago now. So that specific property we've only lived at for the past few years, pretty much right before the pandemic started, which was such a blessing in disguise. But before that, we lived a kilometer down the road, not far away. And we had a smaller property there, but we still had about an acre of land. So we had chickens still, and we had a huge garden. And it backed onto the conservation area. My oldest memories are for sure my brother and I, he is two years older than I am. We just grew up outside. Like any photos we look back at these days of us as kids, we are covered in mud or dirt and we have just lived our lives outside. We would never go inside and where we lived is a little removed from where we went to school. So we didn't have as many friends nearby and a neighborhood of kids to hang out with. So We just spent all of our days like out in the backyard, either in the garden, helping my mom. She's a huge gardener. So she taught us a lot from a young age or chasing our chickens around and just completely being little maniacs. I just have so many memories of living outside and I don't even know what we were doing all day, but just playing. And yes, since we moved to this new farm, it's more land and more animals, which is something that I absolutely adore and definitely helps me in so many ways. Like I I just connect with the animals so well and they bring so much peace to my life and I just love being around them. So 
it's been a cool evolution of farm life, I guess you could say. It's still a hobby farm. Like we aren't agriculture or anything on a big scale, but it's a really cool life. And especially during the the last few years of the pandemic, it's been just so incredible to have this space and something to preoccupy yourself with that isn't just like sitting in a four-walled small room focusing on how horrible the world is. It's been nice to just kind of drive down the driveway and just forget about the world. So it's heaven on earth. I just love that that farm. I would say that you're not forgetting about the world. I would say that you are like diving right into your surroundings. I would like say it's the total opposite, right? You're really enjoying the world. You're really enjoying nature. And is it safe to say and assume that your correlation of growing up, you know, playing in the dirt and being, like you said, your words, a little maniac, do you think it correlates directly with you slamming through the mud and cyclocross and truly feeling at home? I would definitely have to say so. Yeah. More recently, we'd been looking over some photos when my brother was home at Christmas. And there's just so many photos of us as kids just completely covered in mud for no apparent reason. And as a younger child as well, like my older brother, I always wanted to keep up to him. So it was like this level of competition that was instilled in me in a young age, matched with the fact that we lived in an area that had rivers and streams. And we were always like competing to see who could jump over the stream. And 90% of the time I didn't make it because I was this four foot tall child at the time trying to chase my older brother around. So I would definitely say that that instilled that in me. And I think also just the level of competition of like, yeah, I need to keep up with this guy that's older than me and bigger than me. And if I don't keep up with him, he's going to leave me behind in the forest. So I've got to do what I've got to do. And it just made me realize like that, yeah, that's where I feel at home and that the dirt is not scary. It's quite fun. And yeah, I uh, have so many good memories of that. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at 4Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. Let's take this outside with Marianne Iveson. Now, as a grown-up, how does nature play a part in your everyday life and, and affect your training in a positive way? Mm-hmm. Hugely, I would say. When I'm at home, I live on the farm with my parents. And so every day I wake up and I'm surrounded by this incredible scenery and these animals that are chirping at me or making all sorts of noises. I don't even know what a donkey noise is called, like braying, I guess making some weird noise like they do. But I would say that it's it's kind of hard to forget that I'm out in nature when I'm there. 
and that place is my happy place. Absolutely. Like when I'm away, like I'm loving Spain right now, but I miss the peace that I feel when I'm there. But every day, I mean, I'm training outside. So I feel really lucky to get to do a sport that allows me to also, yeah, I am training when I'm outside, but I'm also getting all of those endorphins and all of the incredible benefits of being outside that doctors recommend and whatever it is that is shown to like increase your happiness. So I'm very lucky that the sport I do lets me explore. And even when I'm like doing a really hard training ride on the road, like I can still plan a route and go see my favorite lookout or go to a lake I like or whatever it is that allows me that freedom to see the world. I think really brings me peace and like makes what I'm doing and the suffering a little bit easier. <laughs> Do you have a, like a daily routine, you know, your training? So I guess you're just outside every day, but do you have a daily routine or must-haves when it comes to getting outside? Do you always have to breathe in fresh air every single day? Is that like a must for you? I would say so. Yeah. I think my routine often is dependent on my training. So most days I'm training and a few hours a day. And so yeah, it obviously I'm getting outside then, but I notice it mostly when I'm not outside. So like let's say those past few weeks that I had when I was having this off season, I because during the season I have to be outside every day and I have to be exercising, I get really lethargic and lazy when I don't have to do that. So But I notice it immediately when I feel like I'm like, oh, I need to recharge by just being lazy and like not doing all these things that I have to do when I'm training. But then I end up feeling even worse because I don't realize that being outside is what like makes me feel better. So I think that I notice it more, I would say, when I'm not outside. And then I'm like, something is missing here. Something doesn't feel right. So I would say that I do have to get some fresh air every day, but sometimes I forget about it. And that's when I really realized how important it is. I'm probably like a dog. I need to be walked every few hours or every few days. But yeah, I think especially like I'm in school too. So sometimes when that gets overwhelming, just like doing my studying on the porch or just being outside. Like I got a hammock last year and that was really nice. I would like read my textbook or my papers or whatever it was online in my hammock. So I think that like it just makes everything easier and more enjoyable. And I think I notice it in myself that I'm just like a little bit happier and a little bit more grounded and just less frantic in general. What are you studying? I'm studying psychology. I'm in approximately my last year through Queens Online. Who knows? We'll see when it gets done, but I should be done this year. Fingers crossed. <laughs> the fact that you have to say, I think I'm going to be, that's just, I think, again, that's just the world that we're, that we're living in right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It said in your bio that a part of your life, which I think is kind of ties into everything else you were saying, is you like to like minimize your footprint through sustainability swaps in your daily life. What do some of those things look like? That's a great question. I think growing up where I did, this was instilled in me at a young age from my parents. Like, I don't want to say they're hippies because they definitely aren't, but I think my mom got that label from her parents because they're a little bit more eco-conscious than their families were. I grew up, my first car was a Prius. So I was like on the forefront of green technology. And I loved that car so much. Well, it was my parents' car. I got to, that's how I learned to drive on it. 
and growing so many vegetables in our garden every year. And we were composting like on our farm. So I think I just grew up with all of these little things around me that seemed normal. So I continue those things in my daily life that I think that I almost take for granted that not everyone does. So definitely riding my bike where I can or walking where I can, composting, recycling, just trying to minimize also like my single use plastics because I think that recycling is great to a certain degree, but a lot of the recycling isn't actually being recycled. So the last year I've been really trying to cut back on like especially I feel like self-care items like lotions and shower gels and all of these things that like I get so excited when I'm at the drugstore. I'm like, oh, this smells so good. But trying to like use soaps and I use shampoo bars and conditioner bars and all of those things that like at the end of the day, maybe they're not making that much of a difference, but it feels good to be able to do something. I have a little reusable cutlery bag I bring everywhere with me, the bamboo cutlery and a, a little straw in there. So yeah, I mean, it's it's hard because every time I try and do little actions like this, I'm really kind of almost confronted with the fact that like the sport I do and the lifestyle I live is completely the opposite to that. Like, does it matter that I'm using a shampoo bar to cut back on single-use plastic when I'm flying halfway across the world a few times a year to race my bike? Like, it's easy to get lost in like just the grandioseness of the sport and how wasteful it can be. So it sometimes feels like I'm not doing enough, but then it's doing what I can at the same time. So I would say that just trying to control what I can and be conscious of it, I think is really important. And just trying to help others do the same. I think like everyone in cycling kind of takes for granted how wasteful our sport is. So if there's anyone I can say, Hey, let's pack our reusable bags this trip or whatever it is. It's just good to be aware of because as soon as you start paying attention to that stuff, you start making those small changes. And yeah, who knows if they make a difference, but something's better than nothing. You make it so easy to root for you. I'm really excited to see where your career goes. What are some of, of course, you have Paris track cycling in 2024, which is only a couple of years away. But what are some of your cycling goals, your athletic goals, and what are you looking forward to? Well, first of all, thank you. That's very kind. I would say, I mean, definitely Paris is the goal, the short term, if you can even say that goal. Long term, if I can't qualify for Paris, I would definitely love to try for LA. My dad, actually, the Olympics he went to was LA in 84. So I think that that would be a pretty cool full circle kind of moment if I was able to compete at the same place he did. So if I'm enjoying the sport and still having fun with it and a little bit of enough success to make it viable. I'd love to continue to 2028. But I think beyond that, it's just like continuing to enjoy it. I'll keep trying to race as long as I'm still enjoying it and loving this sport and the lifestyle that it brings. It's cool because in the last few years, I've been able to start my own team last year and do this privateer team and get a collection of sponsors that really support the mission that I'm trying to accomplish of trying to figure out what in the world I want to do with cycling and what discipline that is. And yeah, I want to go to the Olympics, but I don't want to just do that. I also want to ride my mountain bike sometimes and still do some cyclocross races and some gravel. So there is, I guess, no one answer. Like I say, it's the Olympics and it is for sure on a big scale. But to me, it means way more than that. And just trying to find those ways to stay fulfilled on the bike and those races that I can do or those group rides that I can do and 
just continuing to like meet with the community because I think that the fulfillment that I get from meeting a little girl at a race that says she like follows me on Instagram or whatever it is, it really makes more of an impact than I think anyone knows. And like when I was traveling home from the world championships a few weeks ago, this girl was on my flight and we talked for a long time. And she said her and I'd met her at a, a race like four or five years ago. And she remembered that. And that's so cool to me. And like, I'll never take for granted how special that is because I've been in that place as well. Like I remember how that feels and I still feel that way when I meet some of my idols. So I think that continuing to just realize how fortunate I am to be able to do this and to hopefully impact some people along the way is, is just like so crazy to even wrap my head around. So yeah, still trying to figure out what it looks like, but just hoping to continue to enjoy it and yeah, have some fun with it. You make such a good role model, especially for younger women. So where can people follow your journey and follow along on Instagram, obviously, but is there any other spots? Yeah, I'm primarily on Instagram. I use Twitter as well, but not as frequently. I don't really use Facebook. So Instagram is probably the best one. And I have a website as well, but it's linked on my Instagram. So yeah, that's Ruby two underscores West on Instagram. Ruby one underscore West was taken. I don't know how, but yeah, we had to settle for two. So it's a little tricky, but got to do what you got to do. Ruby two underscores West. It's been an absolute delight and pleasure to talk to you. And I can't wait to see your journey and your career as it flourishes forward. I have a feeling that it's only going to go up and up from here. Thank you so much. It's been so fun chatting and I really appreciate you having me. Thanks for listening. For more Let's Take This Outside, go to letstakethisoutside.ca. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com. Produced and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company.